Alrighty. It's episode three of anime for trash dwellers. And I'm going to talk about two shows because I didn't write scripts long enough for them to be one show each. First one is Grim Notes. It's Kingdom of Hearts, but instead of Disney characters, it's anime-fied fairy tale characters. There is no introduction to the plot or the characters whatsoever. We're just plucked straight in because they're probably assuming, rightfully, that the only people watching this show are people who've played the JRPG. They decide to give us a rundown on the basic premise at the end of the fucking episode. Not that it's hard to grasp, but you need some introduction. It is that the majority of the world are bland, boring NPCs with not much going on in their lives, whilst the top 1%ers are cool fairy tale characters with exciting stories. Everyone has little books which have their whole lives written down in them, and the bad guys, the chaos tellers, fuck with these plots and turn people evil and spawn heartless. The best way to sum up this show is that it is so cool, but it is so dumb. Our four main protags were a mixture of European and Asian-inspired JRPG outfits that are confusing and clash. I do love Chad's son's outfit where there's just a triangle left open in his clothing beneath his armpit. Hot, show me more armpit action. Now, our protags go around looking for chaos tellers who attack the top 1%ers stories. What isn't explained is that when our protags fight, they go into their fairy tale form, but the other top one percenters are in fairy tale form all the time. Their fairy tale outfits are so JRPG-ified. Cinderella has purple hair. Our main male protagonist turns into a very female Alice in Wonderland, except instead of being eight, I, I think that's Alice's age in the books, she's probs about 16 because she got damn titties. Then one of the female protagonists turns into a very male in Metro Robin Hood. In this universe, he has long flowing purple hair and wears a tight open jacket that shows from his chest to his navel all of his slim muscly goodness just like the Robin Hood I grew up with. Like I said it's so good but so dumb. And the weirdest thing is that this show has an actual budget. The animation, there's no off-face models or derp eye scene anywhere. The fight scenes are actually fully animated and fairly good. Usually game adaptations get fuck all budget because the studio knows the only people watching as some of the people who've played the game. Why is this one so high? In the first app, they made Little Red Riding Hood. And basically the reason she turns evil is... One, she doesn't want to get eaten by the big bad wolf, this is reasonable, and two, the woodcutter wants to bone her mum. Sometime during all of this, Alice Man has a DNM with her, Remember Red Riding Hood, you have to be eaten by the wolf because it's what's written in your book. So the moral of the story is fuck fighting against your destiny, you have no control in your life? I'm assuming this is the main theme that will be challenged throughout the series, but still, she pretty blunt about it. Oh yeah, and Alice Man has nothing written in his book. I assume it will come up later, but honestly, I don't care. Just scribble that you got laid in it and move on. Episode 2. This episode starts off with more explanations about how the game works, because once again, they felt like explaining the fundamentals of this universe could be left until later. This episode, it's Don Quixote, or however it's pronounced. 
He isn't actually animeified, he's just an old man. I didn't know the Don Quixote story too well, but according to the anime, he's a guy who reads lots of books about knights and then decided to run around pretending to be one. Hey, so that's what nerds did before video games were a thing. I was thinking as I was watching the episode, jeez, if I knew the actual story, I could probably figure out who the villain is. And no, I couldn't, because Don Quixote's imagination so strong, he created the monsters and his fantasies. And by fantasies, they meant the teenage girl in a frilly dress that has a random hole at the belly. Yeah, good one, you creepy old man. And the villain villain, the one that follows them around, shows up and says nothing. Like, he basically just pops up to say hi and then fucks off. Well, he is supposed to be Loki, so that's fair enough. They battle the main beast. Cinderella girl is really struggling to get around the field in her glass slippers and ball gown, just saying. And Robin Hood wears pants. It's just the top half that's a leotard. Shame. And we learn that any of the one percenters they meet along the way, they can use to fight as. So Alice Man turns from one cute little girl into another cute little girl and uses fire. Because apparently Little Red Riding Hood can use fire. Ah yes, my favourite part of the story where Little Red Riding Hood gets eaten and she burns the wolf from the inside out and the woodsman's just like, well, I guess I'm not needed here. And for some reason, Don Quixote's sidekick disappeared, but then reappeared when they defeated the monster. There was no explanation where he went or anything. Well, at least he came back, I guess? Episode 3, a two-parter flashback! Oh, goody! It's about Alice Man as a kid, and he's selling some pumpkins, and this lady's like, Isn't he the one with nothing in his book of fate? And the other ladies are just like, Could you not be so racist? It's revealed in this episode that each person can only read their own book of fate. It comes across as gobbledygook for anyone else who reads it. Like, you could so easily lie to people to make yourself seem cooler than you actually are. Pull the good old, I'll be a famous writer one day and just spend all your time being a lazy ass at home. That would make getting laid so much easier. Just go up to a dude like, yeah, am I- We root tonight. Of course I go straight to the illegal shit. I could do with this. Alice Man is besties with Cinderella and he decides to dedicate himself to helping her story along. Instead of, you know, helping her out with her housework, he does this via learning how to use a sword because in Cinderella there are plenty of fighting. I mean, he even learns to use a sword and doesn't use it on her abusive family. Speaking of that, Cinderella teaches us the valuable lesson of not trying to change your life for the better, but just to wait around until things get better. Oh yeah, Homeboy also helps out by handing her a pumpkin for her carriage. And considering he lives close by on a pumpkin farm, bitch could have just done it herself. So how much are you helping her really? Other book fighter lady and evil villain man turn up and yeah, he summons his first storybook character, Sora from Kingdom Hearts. Episode 4, not only is Alice Man special because his book is blank, but also because he can equip any of the four types of heroes we want. We learned that the blonde-haired girl party member who ends up equipping Cinderella has the ability to set the story of the town back to normal. That's something only she can do. She pulls out a mirror and she like, Look into it, fuckboy, and find your match. He does, and he gets Alice, and he's like, But she's a 
cool. And this blonde lady just like, oh my fucking god, I'm grateful, cunt. It's Alice. Do you know how much money you'd make from merchandising? The fairy godmother is working alongside Loki because lots of the past at Cinderella she's helped have still had an unhappy life after they've gotten married. Jeez. That is dark, but realistic. Could someone please make a movie of this? I'd call on Tim Burton if he'd made a decent film in the last 20 years, so someone else? At this point in time, they have different characters. I think Chad son, he has the white rabbit and the blonde lady has someone called LaBelle who is in generic JRPG gear and has short red hair. Is she supposed to be Belle from Beauty and the Beast? Or the anime got lazy and just chucked in a random? Because the most entertaining thing about this show is seeing the JRPG-defied fairy tale characters. Just saying. And finally, the budget this show deserves was showing in this episode. The one other girl in the party with black hair would just be there in the background with like cross eyes or with a derpy grumpy expression when the character obviously wasn't supposed to be grumpy. Episode 5. Alice Man is all excited because he sees the ocean for the first time, even though they're on an island and they would have first seen the ocean when he got onto the island. And he doesn't even know what the ocean is, even though in most people's books nearing the end of their life, it would have something along the lines of, and then they spent their 50th wedding anniversary on a cruise ship that goes on the ocean. We have some nice sparkling slow-mo glamour shots of the two bishies giggling and playing in the water shirtless. And we meet Long John Silver! Finally, another beautiful contender for the best anime betrayal. Jim Hawkins is, instead of an awkward looking 17 year old like in Muppets Treasure Island or as hot as fuck 20 year old in Treasure Planet, he is a very small and cute looking 14 year old. So there you go. Now, Long Jong Silver, they only call him Silver in this, disrespectful punks, is the chaos teller because he like, I don't get all the money in my book, so now I'm evil so that I get all the money. You still run off with a bag of gold and get to traumatize a young boy whose age apparently varies depending on which adaptation you're talking about. Isn't that enough? Anyway, when they fight this time, they all decide to be their female fairy tale characters and they all come out in bathing suits. We did get the boy swimming around before, so fair's fair. Episode 6, we meet Snow White, and instead of living with potato-faced dwarves you all have distinct yet one-dimensional personalities, we have these little shota fairies that it's implied are all the same person. An overly energetic and happy one at that. This is the first fairy tale so far where they question the morality of the story. Like when Alice Man kisses Snow White, they're like, ew. And when they realize that the story ends with her mother dancing in hot iron shoes until she dances herself to death, they're like, man, that's fucked up. Which is cool, except that we've already had Cinderella where she's staying in child slavery was okay because a man she'd never met before would save her eventually. Snow White has the most annoying, grating voice, like, are you sure it was because of your looks that your mother poisoned you? They take Snow White back to the castle and the queen's like, let me offer you a banquet to which three of the four travellers go to turn her down. Are you insane? You spend most of your time wandering around random forests and since you don't get paid for saving stories, you're probably always starving. Just fucking have a good free grub whenever you can. The queen then tries to poison them all with apples. They're all just looking like, really? 
You had the chance with the main course when we were too hungry to suspect anything. Snow White says to the Queen, I still love you, even though you tried to kill me. That isn't even Stockholm Syndrome. That's just a child unable to understand or fully come to terms with their abuse. After she and the Queen make up, she's like, Yeah, you're still gonna dance to death at my wedding! And then she whispers to Alice Man, I'm just joking. He's not the one you should be telling that to. It should be to your freaked out looking mother over there counting down the days until her feet burn away. Episode 7. I thought it was Hansel and Gretel because it was a boy and a girl, but it was actually the Snow Queen. And not the Frozen version, though I've never watched Frozen, so I don't know how much it deviates from the actual fairy tale. They're out in their skimpy JRPG gear and sneezing and it's like, do you not own any warmer clothing? Or at least have a character you can turn into who has warmer gear? And they go to the Snow Queen and she like, I need to keep the boy because of his pure heart. Oh, so you're a pedophile, right, got it. The girl in the story falls down a hole and the black-haired chick turns into Robin Hood but then turns back to herself again real quickly and I'm like, no, I didn't see enough of his well-defined chest. When they fight her, they use Snow White, who is a useless child, Don Quixote, whose whole story is about how shit he is, and his princess, who doesn't actually exist in the first place, so it's a fair solid team up this one. The Chaos Tellers are trying to justify fucking up the story and the Snow Queen's being, but she was lonely. Well, you could have just gotten her a dog and that would have solved everything, but no, you had to go for this whole human trafficking angle. Though the good guys are kind of hypocritical because they may have caused Snow White to not hate her mum to the point of torturous vengeance. I realised last step when watching the credits that the company behind this game is none other than Square Enix. It ain't a ripoff if they own the rights! Episode 8. This time it was the story of Momotaro, a Japanese folktale about a baby found in a giant peach who grows up to bash up Oni with a pheasant, a monkey, and another animal that I can't quite remember, a dog maybe? For a story with three cute animals, there was certainly a lack of animals in this episode. Worst writing decision ever. By the way, in the ending animation, Momotaro totes looks like a girl, so I didn't even realise he was actually a dude until this episode. We discover that two of the party members are from this story, and that the black-haired girl was an Oni with no horns. You mean human. She was a human. And since Chad's son and his real human being go by the name Tao, I always assumed they were supposed to be Chinese, but I guess they were Japanese this whole time. I should have known by the fact that they weren't racial stereotypes. They fight some Heartless and Chad's son brings out John Silver and the cunt just wrecks them Heartless like fuck the other party members, they don't, they didn't do jack shit. After they fight the story zone, the Oni and Momotaro just go back to fighting and the little main Alice boy is like, is this okay? And Blondie responds, lol, not our problem. Episode 9, it's about Aladdin. Aladdin's basically a slightly old version of Aladdin from Magi the Labyrinth of Magic. Anyway, the heroes do a good job of protecting this story zone because Aladdin dies. He gets a whole punch through his chest and he like, nah, just leave me here. It's my choice. 
just like the suicidal mess he is. Shit, he probably just went for that heartless, like, at last, death awaits me. They're like, if we get the lamp, we can save him. So they bash up the Sultan, who is JRPG Jafar, but then the lamp breaks. So this was a completely pointless side quest to give them a cool battle for this episode. Then Loki and his friend Curly? I have no idea what the fuck she's from. Decide to rewrite the stories or, or some shit. Alrighty, episode 10, we meet my favourite fairy tale character who is 100% not real or based on a real person, Saber! Sorry, I mean Jean of Arc! Alice Man wants to talk to her more and all the others are like, Oh my god, horn dog, you forgetting about Cinderella already? He can like a chick without wanting to fuck her, okay? It's weird how this anime tries to make a moral conflict out of whether having a book that lists every single little thing that happens in your life, including all the bad and terrible things, and the person going, Welp, nothing I can do about that, is good or bad when it is obviously bad. They try to make it sound good by having the bad guys want to change people's destinies, but they don't really do that, they just turn everyone into Heartless, which is a completely different and separate objective. This leads to Alice Man having a conversation with Curly. Do you just want to leave Jean of Arc to burn at the fucking stake? Uh, yeah, I guess so. And his justification being, oh, no, I'm, I'm not profane, I just go with their feelings. I am not gonna lie, I have absolutely no idea what that means. It just sounds like he's pulling shit out of his ass to justify his poor opinion. Like, oh no, I hate gays, cause, cause like garden shit. The end of the ep showed the Jabberwocky, and they're showing this big dragon thing whilst dramatically reading out this nonsense poem. There is nothing epic or scary about the Jabberwocky burbling through the woods. Episode 11, we finally head to Wonderland, which doesn't make sense because they usually only get magic bookmarks when they meet that character, but they already have Alice's, so what the fuck? So, as you know, there are practically hundreds of anime and manga adaptations of Alice in Wonderland, and for costume design, this one ranked pretty highly. They all looked gorgeous, except for the March hair, because hers was a bland, skanky outfit. In this, Alice is making everyone act more proper, which fits her character, that's what she's like in the books. But she's also in cahoots with the Queen of Hearts, which is out of character because she hates that bratty, pretentious bitch. They torture the Mad Hatter by basically massaging him into orgasms. Like, boy ain't gonna tell you shit, he's just gonna sit there coming for eternity. They save the day, but they don't, and Loki summons a dragon, and it finishes, oh my god, cliffhanger! Episode 12, we leave Wonderland World to Looking Glass World, where the March Hare and the Mad Hatter are. Even though they don't appear in Through the Looking Glass, they sort of do. And Looking Glass is like a little chessboard motif that appears throughout the story that they're depicted on, but I'm pretty sure they aren't in the story itself. Since characters don't travel from world to world, the two Mad Hatters aren't going to meet one another, but these worlds are right next door to one another. They may just be strolling along the edges and see one another and cause a rip in time and space. The Jabberwocky is some bland ass fucking dragon, like he looking like the cousin of the dragon from the time I isekai'd into a ball of blue waffle cum. He resides within the Wonderland Mad Hatter and pops out from time to time. This is not the case in the book, but I don't know, I can't confirm until I watch a game theory vid on it. 
Loki and Curly both have no stories, which I should have picked up on since he kept turning into different characters to fuck shit up throughout the show. Man, I'm dumb. And he turns into Aladdin, but he doesn't turn into regular Aladdin, he turns into evil Aladdin! Then Alice Man turns into one of the Grimm's brothers and everyone's really surprised that he actually turned into a boy character for once. He wrecks shit. We have a bullshit ending where everyone just keeps on doing what they're doing and nothing changes except Alice Man is less upset about having no story and therefore he wants to be able to do whatever the fuck he wants. So there's that one. The concept would be cute if it wasn't a straight ripoff of Kingdom Hearts and the lore of the world was stupid and not given enough rules, making it just a contradictory mess that made no sense. Though the animation did cheapen at times, overall it was fairly nice. What was good about the show was the character designs. Most of them, not including Aladdin, Saber, and the Jabberwocky, had a lot of thought and effort put into them and they looked really pretty. So yeah, don't watch it, just Google image all the characters. Alrighty, and the second anime I'll be talking about today is You Don't Know Gunma Yet. I think I watched this anime for the promise of more bishies and because it is so strange. Spoiler alert, there were no more bishies. There's like these two guys with blonde and black hair on the thumbnail for the show, but they never turn up in the show. So it's called You Don't Know Gunma Yet or something like that. And it's an advertisement for the Gunma Prefecture in Japan. It's strangely done to the extent where I'm not sure if it's clever or really stupid. The ending animation has a cute anime girl going around to local statues and shrines whilst eating local food and she only has a lazy eye in one shot. The TV show is basically shitting on Gunma via poor animation and giving us fun facts each episode. I'm pretty sure the opening line for the first episode is, Gunma is really boring. They don't sugarcoat this shit. Alright, first episode. Super ugly Prozac is travelling to Gunma and misses his stop, only realising that this is today's fun fact. The train from Tokyo to Gunma goes past certain stops without stopping resulting in Protag getting swarmed by the locals who have turned into zombies. The ending animation plays, then we have a recording of the mayor of Gunma asking us to watch this anime or visit Gunma or something. This project is organised by the fucking council itself. It was at this moment, and looking at the thumbnail with all of the bishies, that despite the lack of excitement in this series, I knew I just had to keep on watching. Second episode, Agus Protag is in school and berated by his fellow classmen because at the start of class, he said something, then bow, instead of something, attention, and then bow. This was considered interesting enough to be a fun fact, which is giving more light to the opening phrase of how boring this area is. And his classmates wrap him up in a traditional style of udon noodle only found in that region. After the ending animation, we have an example of someone eating these noodles, which are 10 centimeters wide. I have never seen anything more disgusting go into someone's mouth. Third episode, they try to weed out non-gundamans via reciting scripture, Jomo Haruta might have been what it was called, which is basically a variety of different facts about Gunma. I think, okay, it was a bit too adventurous for the like me to understand. At the end of the app, they had an announcement from the voice actor for The Outsider, where he states that he's not from Gunma, but he hopes that people will soon mistake him as being from Gunma. 
Weeks later, I realized, and after a bit of Googling, I confirmed that this is none other than the voice of Asta from Black Clover. So considering his next role after being the lead in the hot new shouldn't jump series was this, shows his career was going pretty well. Fourth episode, they try again to weed out the new kid with dumplings grilled and covered in miso sauce, which because of its sweet taste, only the locals like and everyone else can't stand. This can literally be applied to any Australian food that isn't a Tim Tam. Fifth episode, not much happened, but the mayor of Mayboshi popped up at the end to let us know that his favorite place in his town is some mountain. Sixth ep, they brought up again Jomo Karuta, how the Gun- Gunma natives <laughs> brought it in during the American occupation after World War II to help lift their spirits. Around this time, I went to Japan and my sister explained that Jomo Karuta is an old card game like Match, except that things go in pairs that aren't the same card. It's so basic. I googled this shit and ran nothing. And all it is is a basic card game? I'm sure everyone in the Chihafuruyu fandom is judging me hard now. At the end of this ep, the voice actress for the chick talked, stating that we love where we come from, which is why this anime is only shown in Gunma. And she forgot to mention to Crunchyroll to very, very confused foreigners. This whole anime feels like a cheap tourism plug, yet it's only shown in Gunma itself. Seventh episode, we learned that it gets very windy in Gunma, but also super hot in summer. Wow. This episode ends with the tourism board of Gunma all in green colourful Hyori vest things at some shitty looking river with only trees blocking the view of suburbia stating that Gunma has a lot of nice hot springs and is very picturesque therefore we should come see it. I'm just watching like you! You're the ones who thought this would be a good idea! Plus, was this location really the most picturesque part of Gunma they could find? Eighth episode, since there are no beaches in Gunma, they get real excited when they see a beach, and they also really like eating tuna as a result. The end part was about Shango, a local Italian restaurant that mixes pasta with local dishes such as pork cutlets. This type of pasta is in all parts of Japan, though with slight variations depending on which part you're in. So if they're highlighting this place, there really is fuck all to do here. Ninth episode, we learned that instead of having two teams compete at school sports festivals, Gunma schools have three. A riveting fact. And one of the voice actors for one of the random characters ended this episode and yeah, super thrilling. Tenth episode, they introduced us to three specialty foods, a jelly factory that's headquarters are based in Goodma, miso bread, which is bread with a miso filling that is brown, so I have no fucking clue what is actually in it, and a type of spring onion which is only grown there, which sounds strange at first, but when you remember what little landmass Japan has, it makes sense, which is also shown at the end of the ep. Eleventh episode, we learn about vending machine shops brought in during the 1960s as a sort of shelter for civilians and soldiers during the Cold War era, most in Japan have died out except for in Gunma, where there is still plenty, seen with such historical value that four prime ministers have visited them after wartime. As cool as it sounds, it looks like a massive tin shed with really old, kinda industrial looking vending machines. 
This is the first time through this whole series I've seen something that generally makes me want to visit Gunma. And considering it's the 11th fucking episode that shows just what an exciting place Gunma is. 12th episode, they go to the Myogi Shrine. We also learn beech trees are native to the area and that Gunma boasts the largest snake research center in Japan. So all the characters die. And instead of getting sent to the shrine, they get sent to a little moon with the same name. At the end of the episode, the governor of Gunma is talking up Gunma. When I went to Japan, the cute little J-pop ending song was everywhere. So good job, shitty anime. You've had some effect. I'm sure most people listening to it don't know what it's from. But still, looking up further, the lady who sings this song is Aya Uchida who has been in both Love Life and Kimono Friends, so no wonder this song sold. When I wikied this, I found out that this is not only based on a manga, but has also had a four-part live-action TV series and a movie. This makes me think that either maybe it's just this anime that's super low budget, they even had derp eyes in the fucking ending song animation, or that this tourism council is so desperate it has already funded a manga, a live action TV show and a movie before they decided to have one last desperate plug at an anime. If this anime is supposed to be a tourism plug for Gunma, it's done an awful job of it. Sure, the whole point of this anime is to show how little there is to do here and how strange this prefecture is, but every episode ends with an actual plug for this prefecture. In the ending animation, it would show this nice lake, a shrine with lots of Daruma, a pretty waterfall, all of which were more interesting than anything in this show and were never talked about. I did a quick wiki search to check the name of this shrine in episode 12 and that wiki page had more interesting stuff on it than this anime did. There's a plant museum, a modern art museum, a trick art museum, they're the best ones, multiple shrines that aren't the ones shown in the anime. The amount of people who worked on the, an animation project versus a Wikipedia article and the amount of interesting facts I learned from them, maybe one or two from the anime and 10 or more from the article is embarrassing. I also learnt that a kamikaze pilot came from here. Wonder why that wasn't in the anime. And that's episode 3. If you listened, I'm really sorry. <laughs> really sorry you had to sit through this piece of shit. Thanks anyway, bye.